Welcome to thy word. Let's go ahead and begin with prayer as we normally do. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your word. We thank you for all that you're doing among us. We thank you for what you're doing at Upper Room Church. And I ask, Lord, only that you will allow your word to go out into the hearts of your people, that we might grow in the knowledge of the Lord and in understanding. Lord, we are built, we are founded on the word of God. And Lord, I ask you that you, you build upon us and that we not just stay where we're at, but that we continue to grow in you, our foundation in you, so that you can continue to build upon us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, it's so good to see all of you here. I want to give Brother Hassan a shout out because he treated me to, uh, uh, Korean barbecue. Amen. And if you continue to uh, treat me to commit uh, 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 Korean barbecue, I will continue to give you a shout out, Brother Hassan. Praise the Lord. I just want you to know that's how things work here. We don't collect <laughs> we don't collect an offering here, but we do uh, we do eat uh, we do eat out quite a bit. Praise the Lord. Amen. You might not recognize it. You might not realize it by the way I look, but I actually enjoy eating. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Let's uh, 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 lift up. I just got a a text from the Lopez's. They're going to be out. I think they had to send, uh, they had to take Rose to the hospital. So we will lift her up in prayer tonight. Amen. But the last time we were together, we are in Matthew part 22, and the last time we were together, we talked about how Jesus rebuked the unbelieving cities of his day and declared that if the works which had been done in them were done in Tyre and Sidon and in Sodom, those cities would have repented. We looked at how God judges according to revealed truth, and we discussed how Uh, We must love the truth, receive and believe the truth, or receive and believe a lie. And we talked about the spirit of Antichrist, which is a counterfeit spirit of Christ. It's in the place of Christ, and it is against Christ. And how it is the responsibility of the church to be the light of truth, the salt of the earth. We are the only light. Uh, uh, of God on this planet, and we are the only salt of the earth. We also spoke briefly about the Antichrist, the man of sin, the son of perdition, who will be made manifest at the end of the age. We discussed the spirit of Antichrist and how it denies the Father and the Son. It declares there is another way, multiple ways uh, uh, to God besides the Lord Jesus, but Jesus declared he is the only way, the only truth, and the only life, and no man comes to the Father but by him. Let's continue in Matthew chapter 11, uh, beginning at verse 25, and then we'll read to 30. And that'll bring us to the end of this chapter, hallelujah, and to a fresh start. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven, and earth that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. I actually really love this scripture. It explains a lot uh, that the Father, the Lord of heaven and earth, has hidden these things from the wise and the prudent and have revealed them to babes. The worldly wise, so-called, and the worldly prudent, so-called, fell to grasp uh, the elementary teaching of God's Word. And in the days of Jesus, as in the days of Jesus, so it is now, um, the Lord is the one who reveals. Um, and just because you have an education, just because you have a brilliant mind, because you're a student, does not mean that God will reveal to you. Many people, and we're going to see the Pharisees were that way, believed that because they were in some kind of position and they had some kind of background, some kind of education, that they had earned the right to have revelation from the Lord. And if the Messiah was going to come to anybody, He was going to come to them. And frankly, they were a little bit upset. And here's the thing. I really believe that many of these Pharisees understood this is the Christ. I really do. But they were so offended 
that God would do what he wanted to do the way he wanted to do it without them and instead go to fishermen, to go to a tax collector and collect them and make them his leadership. They were so offended. And I really believe that is the problem here with the Pharisees. And so they chose not to believe. But we see that the doctors, the scribes, and the Pharisees failed to see who he was. And can I tell you that pride, pride in one's education, pride in one's pedigree, and standing in the community often leads to being deceived. And we talked about deception last time we were together. The truth we receive from God is revealed to us by God. And as Peter wrote in 1 Peter uh, chapter 5 and verse 5, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your older, uh, to your elders. That is to have a spirit of submission. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. Now, that is the opposite of what the Pharisees showed. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You see, and you look at this man, this, uh, this is not in my notes, but when you look at Peter, this fisherman, you know, when he realized who Jesus was, he said, depart from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. But the Pharisees never would have said that. They would have said, you know, if you're the Messiah, come with us, because obviously... We are the most important people, and we are the ones who are righteous. We are the ones who are holy. That is an attitude that God hates. He hates that attitude. We need to be humble. We need to come before Him understanding who we are. And who we are is, as Peter said, Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. In my nature, there is no good thing. Nothing at all. Ricky Taylor is nothing more than a debtor to God and to this church, to these, to you. Because I used to speak against you. And now I want to speak for you. And I'm a debtor to God because He purchased me by grace, with unmerited favor. Nothing that I did whatsoever. And yet He chose me. And praise God, He chose you. And if you come to God with that attitude, He will continue to reveal Himself to you. But if you come to Him with the attitude of, I am the great-grandson of some big name. I have a great education. I have a whatever education. I know all of these things, and therefore, the Lord will choose me. The Lord will not choose you. The Lord will resist you. Praise God. Jesus continues, Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight, all things have been delivered to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son. Buddha doesn't know the Father. Muhammad doesn't know the Father. There's no other way but Jesus Christ and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am proud and haughty and dominating and domineering. Is that what he said? Praise God. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle. Now, this is the Lord. This is the Lord of glory speaking, who had every right to be dominating and dominating. He is God. But instead, he says, I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I've said this before, once again, not in my notes, but I really feel like it's a good time for it. If the devil got what he wanted and sat on the throne of God, Immediately, the devil's first act would be a command to the entire universe, to every living creature, every angel in heaven, and every human being on earth, bow down and worship me. And everyone would be forced, compelled to do exactly that. That's what he wants. But you know, the Lord is sitting on the throne right now. And he doesn't command and demand and dominate. But he says, I want you to love me as I love you. And the kind of worship that I want is reciprocal. Because I loved you. 
And I'm meek and I'm lowly and I'm gentle at heart. And often, by the way, that is how you can tell whether a ministry is of God or whether a ministry is of the spirit of Antichrist. The spirit of Antichrist will always try to control and manipulate. But the spirit of God gives freedom. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And he wants us to love him because we love him. And he will not ever force our worship because he could immediately. All he has to do is say the words, bow down and worship me. The devil himself will bow down and worship. There's nothing that can stop that. And we now have come to the end of Matthew chapter 11. We come now to the 12th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. And there is much to this chapter as Jesus makes several uh, declarations and works miracles and casts out devils. In other words, he did the mighty deeds... That, as he said earlier, had they been done in Sodom, the people of Sodom would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. And this is, as I said before, this is actually a judgment on our own generation, which has more of the Word of God being preached and declared than any other generation on the planet ever. That the, the gospel that we are hearing, the gospel that is going out into the world, had it gone out to Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented and accepted the Lord as Messiah. Jesus said it. So, their punishment will be much less than the punishment of the people in the last days today. Amen. And once again, if I'm getting too hard for you, I want Sister Tanya, I told her earlier, just give me a signal. No, I'm joking. Just give me a signal. Praise God. You're being too hard. But this is what the Bible teaches. Sodom would have repented had they seen what Jesus did. If Jesus had come to them, they would have repented. But the Jews would not. Matthew chapter 12, let's begin with verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And we understand that the Sabbath is a day of rest. And his disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. But he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat? nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Yet I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. If I said that, it'd be blasphemy. They'd take me out and stone me. If I said I was greater than the temple during this time, But Jesus said it. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless for the Son of Man. There's that title again that we talked about. Is is Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus is talking here about David, who uh, before he was king was running for his life from the mad king Saul. And we find this in 1 Samuel chapter 21. He's on the run. He comes to Ahimelech, the priest, and he asks for bread. But the only bread the priest had was the shoe bread, which was holy bread. It was the bread that was displayed in the holy place of the tabernacle. And after it was used and put on display, it was to be eaten by the priest and the, their families. But David was of the tribe of Judah. And because he was of the tribe of Judah, he was not permitted under the law to eat the shoe bread. But because it was the only bread, he took it and he ate it. So Jesus is showing here that the Pharisees, uh, uh, th- th- who, who the Pharisees honored David, but the truth about David was that he broke the law and was still accepted by God. He broke their commandment of. The Sabbath. Jesus then reminds the Pharisees that the priests did their work in the temple even on the Sabbath day. So the priests broke the Sabbath by working. They did things in the temple, for instance, lighting a fire. They had to keep the fire burning. The fire on the altar could never go out. So they had to continually 
burn this fire. They had to put wood into the fire. And by doing that, they technically broke the Sabbath. They broke the ordinance of the Sabbath. Um, and But they were considered blameless because of the, the work of the temple needed to be done. And therefore, it was above the ordinance of the Sabbath. And Jesus says here uh, says something here that, like I said, it would be blasphemous if he was anyone other than God. Only God could say what Jesus said right here. There one greater than the temple is here. I don't think he meant Peter. And I don't think he meant John. And I don't think he meant James. And he certainly didn't mean the Pharisees. So let's just suppose he was talking about himself. That he was the one who is greater than the temple. And the temple represented the one who was supposed to dwell in it. Although the secret was, God had not dwelt in that temple since the time of Ezekiel. But it supposedly represented the one who was supposed to dwell in it. And it was great because of the one who dwelt in the temple. Therefore, the only one greater than the temple was the one who made it great. And the one who made the temple great was none other than Yehovah. The Shekinah, which means dwelling. The dwelling of God's presence in the temple. And Jesus quotes here from Hosea uh, chapter 6 and verse 6. For I desire mercy and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. God was tired of their religion. He was tired of their sacrifices. In fact, the Lord who, or, who actually ordained the law and the sacrifices and the feasts and the new moons began to call through the mouth of the prophets, your new moons, your feasts, your sacrifice. Why? Because they're no longer mine. You're not doing it unto me. You're doing it for your purposes. But they had no mercy. They had no love. They were educated, but they had no knowledge of the truth. And one of the things he says is, I desire the knowledge of God. I want you to know me. I want you to have mercy. Not just these sacrifices and these repetitive religious ordinances and these rites that you are doing because they have nothing to do with me. I want mercy and I want the knowledge of God. I want you to know me. That's what God is saying. And Jesus is telling this to the Pharisees. They had no love. The Lord of glory. That's what the Bible calls Jesus. The Lord of glory who they crucified. The one who, by the finger of God, wrote the commandments in stone. I want you to understand this. We talked about this in Exodus. We're going to continue to talk about it in Numbers. But the one that Moses and and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and the 70 elders of Israel saw, when they saw the God of Israel, is this one right here. You don't believe it? Well, wait till we get to it. We're going to talk a lot about this because this was the one. He was the testator. He was the one who gave the testament. He was the one who gave the covenant. And that covenant would be in effect, according to uh, uh, Paul or the writer of the book of Hebrews, until the death of the testator. So the one who gave the testament had to die. Who died? That's right. He's the one who gave the testament. He, it was his finger that wrote the commandments in stone. He was the word of God made flesh. And he stood before them, but they did not recognize him. And he further declares himself to be equal with God by saying, For the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. So Jesus said he's greater than the temple. And then he says that he is the Lord even of the Sabbath. In essence, he's saying this. I'm God. And I make the rules. I am greater than the temple. And I am the Lord of 
the Sabbath. You see, God is sovereign and the, He is the King. And as the King, He does what He wants. He does it when He wants. And He never requests the approval of others. That's what sovereign means. He does what He wants when He wants and He doesn't ask our permission. He just does it. And we need to know that about God while we're following Him and serving Him. So that we're not like the Pharisees and saying, this cannot be of God because it goes against something that I believe. Well, you might miss exactly what God is doing. Sometimes we need to humble our hearts and say, Lord, whatever you have, I want to be a part of it. I don't ask God to be a part of what I'm doing. I want to be a part of what God is doing. You see, that that's the walk. Amen. And we might end up in another country somewhere. We might end up, and that's the beauty of it. You don't know where you're going to end up, but you know that whatever you do will end up for good. And that's the beautiful promise that we have. Now, the question will surely arise, are we as Christians required to keep the Sabbath? And you will no doubt have heard arguments for keeping the Sabbath. Uh, Most of these argue the point that the Sabbath was established before the law of Moses and therefore superseded the law of Moses. And so should also continue on after the law of Moses. But there are several faults with that argument. May I say, first of all, that the Sabbath was kept by the Jewish people primarily in the land of Israel and in that particular climate and weather. And during the Sabbath, they could not gather sticks for the fire. We talked about that before. And they could not light a fire. Now, could you imagine that law in effect in the winter for all people, not just the Jews, but everybody? Everybody is under this particular law. And you are and they are in, for instance, Alaska in the winter. People would freeze to death. And the Jews who lived in similar clients rely and they still rely on the Gentiles to light their fires. But if all kept the Sabbath, who would light the fires? Right. God intended Israel to keep the Sabbath under the old covenant, but not the Gentiles under the new covenant. And doing so would actually be impossible. Um, More importantly, the fallacy with the idea that the Sabbath was before the law of Moses is to not understand what covenant we are under. I often think that one of the problems with modern Christianity, and I include myself in that, is sometimes we forget what covenant we're under. See, sometimes we have a little bit of this covenant with a little bit of that covenant. Right? right? But we need to know what covenant we are under. And there are two primary covenants. And we find the Bible divided into these two covenants. If you open your Bible, you'll see an Old Testament or covenant. Testament needs, means covenant. That's why the Ark of the Covenant is also called the Ark of the Testimony. It's the same meaning. So when you look in the Old Testament, you are looking at the Old Covenant. Okay? When you look in the New Testament, you are looking at the New Covenant And the Old Covenant is the Torah. It, and that's we talked about that. It is the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. If it is found in those five books, it is the Torah. You understand? It is the law. Anytime you find it in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, it is the law. Well, Brother Taylor, the Ten Commandments are found there. That's right. You're not under the Ten Commandments. God doesn't want you to not kill only because He commanded you not to. God wants you to not kill because you love your neighbor as yourself and you love your brother and you're not going to kill someone you love. Do you see the difference? Those are the differences between these covenants. And now when Jesus came, He made a new covenant. A new covenant in my blood, He said. A new Testament. He annulled the Old Testament. Now, it's just like a marriage. If you marry a young lady in, let's say, Las Vegas, and you were kind of out of your, your mind, and you didn't know that the old lady, young lady, Michelle, actually used to be Michael, God forbid me, or something like that. You can annul that marriage as if it never even happened. 
And you are no longer bound by that marriage. The judge says, I annul that marriage. And it says, if it never happened, it no longer has an effect upon you or a hold upon you. Well, the Old Testament was annulled by the Lord. It was nailed to the cross. The ordinances that were against you, He nailed it to the cross. It's no longer in effect. And that's why you're not a sinner. It's not because you're instantly just perfect. It's because you can't sin if there's no law saying it's a sin. Now that sounds crazy. What are, you, are you saying that we can sin? You see, they argued with Paul about this too. Paul said, are you saying then that we should continue in sin? As some say that we say, God forbid. Why? Because not only are you no longer bound by the law, but you are a new creature. And you died at the cross. And because you're dead, the law is only for those who are alive. And if you died with Christ, then the law can no longer have effect on you because you're no longer alive. And here's the trick. Christ now lives through you. And because you are a new creature, you will do new things. You were a snake before. Now, let me use that as an example. And if I took a snake right here, a poisonous, venomous cobra, and I put it down here on the floor, most of us would run out of here because snakes do what snakes do. Right? They're probably, it's probably going to bite you. And, and, you know, there's this old story that a man took a snake into his bosom because the bosom said, I'm cold, or the snake said, I'm cold. Will you, will you help me? And he picked the snake up, brought it to his bosom, and the snake bit him. And he said, why do you bite me? I, I tried to help you. And the snake said, I'm a snake. That's what snakes do. You should have known that. Well, but if now I had a lamb and I brought the lamb up here, none of us would run out. We'd probably say, you know, you should probably not have a farm animal in the house of God. But none of us are going to flee because the lamb's not going to bite you. It's not going to be. It's not venomous. It's not in its nature to cause you harm. It's the nature of the snake, but not the nature of the lamb. Well, you're a new creature. You're no longer a snake. Now you're a son of God. And you have the nature of Christ. And therefore you will do good because of that new nature that is living in you. That is the covenant that we're under. A covenant of love, faith, working through love. I want to show you this as an example of this. Because I don't want to just say what I say. I want to say what the Bible says. There was an argument, yes, there was actually an argument among the church, even in the book of Acts. And this was among the Jews who became Christians. And many of these had been Pharisees. So, while Jesus was preaching, these were people who were probably in opposition to Him at the time. And they were raised as Pharisees. So these were men who were basically PhDs in the Torah. There's no question that Paul had the entire... Torah memorized. All the first five books of the Bible were completely memorized. Most Pharisees would have. And he called himself a Pharisee of Pharisees. So these were educated people and they had been converted. They believed in the Lord. And they were stating that Gentile Christians, that, that, that's you and me. If you're a Gentile, if you're not a Jew, then you are a Gentile. And they were stating that Gentile Christians had to be circumcised and keep the law, the Torah. And we find this in Acts chapter 15. And I'm going to read through this because I think it, it creates a, a, a good foundation of this to understand the difference between the covenant that they were under and the covenant that we are under. And you'll see that these people were Christians. And you'll also see that these people were wrong. It is possible to be a Christian and to be wrong. And what we should do is then align ourselves with what the Word of God says. And the Bible reads, And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Wow, that's scary, right? You're a new Gentile believer. You just came to the Lord. And now these men who come down, by the way, these are not just little men. These are Pharisees. These are doctors of the law. 
And they tell you that unless you keep the customs of Moses and get circumcised, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, so they were arguing, they were debating, even in the church, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So, being sent on their way to the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the con- conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees, these guys even caused problems after they became Christians who believed, rose up, saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. I can tell you what tone of voice they said it in. It was a self-righteous, pious, my way or the highway tone of voice. These men had been Pharisees. And though they were now believers in Jesus, much of the legalism they had in them before remained. Now, I wanted to find that word Legalism, because a lot of us don't know what that means, but it basically means this. If you require that a Christian does anything under the law of Moses or any other law, doesn't have to be the law of Moses, in order to attain righteousness, that is legalism. Jesus did it all. He said it is finished. And our righteousness comes from Him, through Him, and it is His righteousness, not our righteousness. Praise God. And I know that's hard for us sometimes to accept, but that's exactly what the Pharisees were doing here. These men had been Pharisees. Now they're believers. They were saved by grace, just like you and I are saved, just like the Gentiles were saved. But they were still trusting in the law of Moses as a way to attain righteousness. They wanted to put the Gentiles under the law. And that was the very law that no matter how hard they themselves tried to keep, it never made them righteous and it did not save them. The law of Moses never saved a single soul. It condemned every one of them and put them under sin. Not one person except the Lord Jesus Christ has ever kept the law. And if you break even the smallest commandment, according to Deuteronomy, the entire curse of the law falls upon your head. Which means you either have to be perfect or you're a lawbreaker. And these men did not keep the law. And yet they demanded that others do. And I think, unfortunately, many well-meaning Christians are guilty of this very thing today. Honestly. Listen, we point a finger at somebody and say, you should be doing this. Well, honey, I guarantee you that if I were able to go to your house and look in your closet, I'd find some things there that you wouldn't want me to see. If I could look into your heart, and the Lord does, I would see things there, especially because you're trusting in the law. I guarantee you that you're sinning. How do I say that? Because that's what Paul said. That if we trust in the law, the law actually doesn't redeem us from sin, but it makes us sinners. And the ordinance has come against us. Now the apostles and elders, let's go ahead and continue this. Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. And when there had been much dispute, once again they were arguing, even in the church, in the book of Acts. Peter rose up and said to them, men and brethren... You know that a good while ago, God chose among us that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us, and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. In other words, they were saved by faith. And God purified their heart, just like He did to Abraham. Abraham believed God. Now, Abraham was not immediately a perfect man. Abraham, after that, did all kinds of things wrong. Things that I did, it might even make the newspapers. I mean, I'm telling you the truth. Things that the pastor did, it absolutely would make... In fact, it would make church milk and, and praise God, the newspapers. Because Abraham was not immediately in the flesh a righteous man. 
But God looked at Abraham and said, you're a righteous man. Isn't that beautiful that the reason you're holy and righteous is because the king said so. That's that right there is the gospel. You may be lost. You may be that snake. But the Lord looks down and he says, you're saying it's a snake. But I know it doesn't want to be a snake. I know it wants to be a lamb. And he says, you're a lamb. Boom, you're a lamb. That's the gospel, that if we believe in Him by faith, we are purified, we are justified. Not by our works, but by Him. He said so. Well, how am I getting to heaven? He said so. That's the gospel. Praise God. And if I add anything to that, I'm sorry. I've come out of the Scriptures. Now, there are things that we must do, should do, as Christians. But we'll do that because we've been changed. Amen. Amen. But can I tell you that you can come and say, you know, I want to be a member of the church, sign on the dotted line, shake the pastor's hands, pay your tithes, do this, do that, do that. Do wonderful things. Show up to every event we have. Be sitting here in thy word. And if you're trusting in those things to save you, you're just as lost as the first day you walked in. That's not going to save you. Jesus is going to save you. Hallelujah. Let's continue. Now, therefore, why do you test God? By putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. I like how Peter said this. He doesn't say they shall be saved in the same manner as we. He says we're being saved the same way the Gentiles are being saved. We're not special because we have the law. We're not special because we're Jews by birth. But the way they're being saved is the way that we're being saved. By grace, through faith, not of works, lest we should boast. But see, the problem is the Pharisees wanted to boast. And not only did they want, and we'll we'll discuss this when we get to the epistles, especially the epistles of Paul. Not only did they want to boast in how good they were, but they wanted to say, look how good all the people I teach are. Look how good the disciples are. They're all circumcised. And they're all this and they're all that. And they're keeping the law and they're keeping the fast and the new moves. I'm so good. That's what Paul said. He said, this is why they do it. And it's exactly, it's a glorying in the flesh. And that is not the gospel. The gospel is Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Sin had left a a, a terrible stain. He washed it. He washed it white as snow. I'm washed. Amen. Peter said we're purified by faith, not by the works of the law. Now let me ask you this. Is circumcision a work of the law? Yes. Yes. But did it come before the law of Moses? Or did it come... Because of the law of Moses. And the answer is it became it came before the law. Abraham received the covenant of circumcision and circumcised himself and his whole house before the law of Moses. Yet it is considered here by these pharisaical Christians to be the law. And many argue the same about the Sabbath, which also came before the law of Moses. Now, if we're not to keep communion, or sorry, if we're not to keep circumcision, we are to keep communion, praise God. If we are not to keep circumcision, which came before the law of Moses, then we must not keep the Sabbath, which also became the law of Moses. Like I said, the law, the Torah, is the first five books of the Bible. Christian, can I tell you, if it's in the first five books of the Bible, you are not under it. Now, what's it for? It's for our Learning It's for our teaching. It's for our admonition. Because everything that the children of Israel went through was for us as an example to us. As a warning to us and a way to learn about God and the ways of God through them. But not as a commandment. So when people say, well, by God, the Ten Commandments say you will keep the Sabbath holy. Right. They do. I'm not under the Ten Commandments. Praise God. I am under a new law, a new covenant. And that covenant is based on love. It's faith working through love. 
Now, this dispute ended with a decree from the apostles, specifically James, the brother of Jesus. And this is in Acts 15, 19 through 21, where he said, Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. There are four things here. For Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Now, there are four parts of the Old Testament or the Old Covenant or Torah that Gentile Christians are to keep. And we will get to those, too, when we also study the epistles of Paul and find out that Paul wasn't really very hard on many of these. See, it wasn't a legalism. It was more of a, you should not do this because. And Paul, for instance, things dedicated to idols, he said that one brother won't eat meat because he's afraid that all meat is given to idols. He won't eat meat and it, because he's the weaker brother. But Paul says, don't even ask. Just go in, give praise to God. Idols aren't real anyway. And eat your meat. Praise God. And so that's kind of the issue here. But the issue here is we are, uh, we have four things under the law that we should not do. And this means we are not to eat food, food that has been dedicated to idols. If I go into a Chinese restaurant and I see an orange given to their little, little idol, I won't eat the orange, but I'll eat the Chinese food. Is that okay? <laughs> Praise God. Uh, we are not to commit sexual immorality. We are not to eat strangled animals. And uh, I, want to, I want you to notice here that it doesn't say we can only eat clean animals. We can only eat kosher animals. And some people no. teach that. You cannot eat a pig. No. You cannot eat a this. You cannot. Well, that's the law of Moses. Right. Now, I'm, I'm going to eat a pig. I'm just not going to eat a pig with the blood in it. And I'm not going to drink the pig's blood because that's not something that God wants us to do. The issue here is the blood of the animal. The life is in the blood. We know that from the Old Testament. And a strangled animal holds the blood within its meat. So an animal should be drained of its blood. And uh, we are finally not to eat blood. James left out a whole lot here concerning the law. He did not command circumcision. He did not command Sabbath-keeping. And frankly, except for these four things, nothing under the Old Covenant, the Torah, should uh, applies to the church as a law that we must, by commandment, keep or perform. That is the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, but we are under a new covenant. So we are free from keeping the Sabbath. And if anyone requires you to keep the Sabbath, they are like the Pharisaical Christians in Acts who were trying uh, even then to put us under the law. And when we study the, the epistles, as I said, we're going to talk about this. This was Paul's major battle. Paul, who had been a Pharisee of Pharisees, was constantly fighting legalism. He, based, he said this. He said, you can be under grace or you can be under law. You cannot be under both. Make a decision. You're either under the law. Well, I'm only under a little law. I keep the commandments one, two, three, and four, and I keep this and this and that. And, okay, well, you're under the law. And if you're under the law and you're not keeping the other commandments, now you're under the curse of the law. So we're under grace. Amen. Matthew 12, uh, verse 9. We have a little bit of time here. Now, when he had departed from there, he went into their synagogue, and behold, there was a man who had a withered hand. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? that they might accuse him. Now, I want you to notice that throughout the Gospels, Jesus performed miracles deliberately on the Sabbath day. He did it on purpose. Why? Because he wanted to shed the light of the truth on the Pharisees, but also to the world. Now, when we had departed from that, he went into the synagogue. Behold, there was a man who had a withered hand, and they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? that they might accuse him. Then he said to them, What man is there among you who has one sheep? And if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out. Of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. 
and he stretched it out, and it was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. Wow. I mean, he, he did a miracle. He did a wonderful thing. He changed life. He showed mercy and love and compassion on a man with a withered hand, who, by the way, could not even go into the temple. But because he violated your ordinance, you want to destroy him. What spirit is that? It's the spirit of the Antichrist. It's against Christ. And here's the thing. Like I said, I believe that many of these Pharisees knew exactly who he was. But no at them that the Messiah that we've been waiting for shows up. And this is what he is. I think that a lot of people really don't understand who he is. My Lord, you know, there's this movie that came out and it was about the the uh, Calvary Church. It's a revival that took place here in California among the hippies. And so many churches of that day said this cannot be a move of God because God would not accept these hippies, these long-haired, smelly hippies. Oh, it's funny to us now, but that's exactly what they were saying. And God says, listen, I do what I want. I do it when I want. I do it how I want. I do it among who I want. And I'm not here to ask your permission. Either get on board my revival or just sit on the sidelines and watch. God, I want to be in the heart of the revival. I've got about 20 years left. Maybe that, God willing, if the Lord tarries, hallelujah. I want to do the will of God. I don't want to do the will of Ricky Taylor. What a waste that'll be. Amen. But Pharisees were always hypocritical. As Jesus said, they would rescue one of their sheep who fell into a pit on the Sabbath. And that was a violation of the law of Moses. Still, every one of those Pharisees would have done it. They would not let that sheep just sit there. Have you ever heard a sheep bleat and cry? They wouldn't, they wouldn't allow that to happen. They would have had more mercy and compassion on that sheep in the ditch than they would on that man with a withered hand. Pharisees were very religious. but They were hypocrites. And when he healed this man, they sought to destroy him. They were pious. They were educated. Just as he said, you've hidden this from the wise and the prudent, the worldly wise, the worldly prudent, the worldly educated, the ones who were so high and lofty in their own minds, but you've revealed this to simple people and to babes. And they were against Christ. And as I said, that is the spirit of... Antichrist. We should be very careful not to have the spirit the Pharisees had. The spirit of the Antichrist can often appear very religious, very pious, and it is always a proud spirit. And I just want to say this. I'm going to close out here. I've got a lot more that I could teach, but praise God you didn't pay uh, an extra $15 for me to go an hour, and I don't feel like... Well, I know nobody paid here, but you will after. Please see Brother Hassan. No, I'm joking. (laughs) Can I tell you that Jesus did not do what he did to exalt himself? He humbled himself. He did not do what he did to be seen of men. He was not putting on a show. Oh, the Antichrist is going to put on a show. Let me tell you, if you see preachers putting on shows... That might be the spirit of Antichrist. I'm not saying it always is, but it might be. Sensationalism. Pastor Rivera. Do you think the Antichrist will humble himself or exalt himself? He will exalt himself. The spirit of Antichrist is always self-exalting. The Antichrist is called the beast. And he has the nature of a beast. He Dominates, he destroys, he's predatory. He subdues. But the Holy Spirit is depicted as a dove, gentle 
and peaceful. And Christ is called the Lamb of God. Well, I know he's called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. But the Bible says in Revelation, they wanted, they were looking for the Lion. And when he turned around, he saw a Lamb. You see, the nature of Jesus is the gentle, peaceful Lamb of God. And this is in opposition to the nature of the spirit of Antichrist. But in the end, it is the Lamb who overcomes. Now, we are going to continue when we come back together in Matthew. Uh, I wanted to finish actually uh, today, but it doesn't look like we're going to be able to. But I would like to give you a little homework. Because in this chapter, Jesus is going to say, No sign shall be given this generation except the sign of Jonah. As Jonah was in the belly of the well three days, so shall the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth. Now, I would like you to read the book of Jonah. Now, the book of Jonah is only four small chapters. If you can't read the whole book, I would like to draw your attention to chapter 2 of Jonah. And what we're looking for, and this is an exercise in how to read the Bible. I want you to find Jesus in Jonah chapter 2. Amen? Lord, we love you. We thank you for thy word. And I thank you for all who have come and all who will be watching online. Lord, and I ask you to bless them. A special blessing, Lord, for seeking out more knowledge of the word of God and, the, and, and God himself. And I pray that the seed of the word of God will fall into hearts and will grow and will lay that foundation, Lord, and will spring up unto everlasting life. In Jesus' name, amen. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart.